One of my favorite XKCD comics is from September 2006, and it's called Beliefs. And it seems to show, over the course of six frames, a conversation between a man and a woman. And in the center frame is a gorgeous mountainous landscape. And it gives us the sense that maybe this man and woman are having this conversation, walking in these majestic mountains. And the conversation goes like this. So the woman says, Professor, that man claims the earth is 6,000 years old. And she's pointing at a man in the distance. And the professor responds, So, just use your head and don't concern yourself over much with what other people think. The woman. But he says the fossils in the mountains were put there in a flood. The man. Well, evidence suggests that they were not. The woman. But he, and now the man, cuts her off. A million people can call the mountains a fiction, yet it need not trouble you as you stand atop them. The woman, and now she's throwing her hands up in the air, but he believes the silliest things. The man, so? The man continues. The universe doesn't care what you believe. The wonderful thing about science is that it doesn't ask for your faith. It just asks for your eyes. The woman, but he's a U.S. senator. And the man, ah, then yes, we do have a bit of a situation. And of course, this harkens back to a simpler time of 2006. More recently, we just had elected to Congress a woman named Marjorie Green from Georgia. She believes that Donald Trump is fighting against a evil cabal of Democrat child abusers. She voiced support for the Pizzagate conspiracy, which resulted in a, a man opening fire in a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C. She also believes that the Clintons had a police officer assassinated because uh, they were involved, the Clintons were involved in some like ritual sacrifice of children. She believes uh, a theory that the California wildfires were started by space lasers, which were funded by the Rothschilds. Perhaps most troubling is a video from 2008 that she posted on Facebook where she talks about the Great Replacement, which is this deeply anti-Semitic conspiracy theory where she says that Jews are orchestrating mass migration of non-white immigrants into America and they're trying to commit, quote, the biggest genocide in human history. And, and if you're wondering uh, who else believes this theory, um, the gunman who killed 11 people in the 2018 Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, he also espoused and posted about this great replacement theory. That's what motivated him. And so these are the kind of views that American politicians believe nowadays in the year 2021. And so I think it's time to give an updated version of this XKCD comic. And so the 2021 version, my version of this comic, the same comic, goes like this. You have two people, and they're walking together. And the first person says, you know, that person believes the craziest things. And the second person, the man responds, says, well, take screenshots, post it all on Facebook. Get this person publicly shamed. Make sure the world knows and sees 
how atrocious, how vile, how crazy these conspiratorial beliefs are. Get this person canceled. Make sure that her employer or his employer sees these things. And the woman, the first character in the comic, responds, but this person is my son, or this person is my mother, or this person is a sibling, or a co-worker, or someone in my community, an important person in my community. And then the man in the comic pauses and responds with that same sinking feeling, ah, yes, then we have a bit of a situation. I don't know many people who believe in QAnon, but in within my community, in the larger community, in the group of friends of friends, there's a woman who is very well respected in the community and very beloved, someone with a, an amazing reputation. And if I ask anyone I know about this person, they'll tell me, You're, this is an amazing person with a great heart, a matriarch of her family, but also she's gone down the rabbit hole and she believes in QAnon. And so I wanted to speak to this person. I wanted to speak to Gila, who, again, I've only heard the nicest things about. And I wanted to just sort of get a glimpse what the world looks like from inside the rabbit hole. Uh, the words to keep in mind are messianic accelerationism. Gila believes very strongly that we are living in unprecedented messianic times, that despite all the troubles, all the pain in the world that we see, the sense in which things are wrong, these indicate, these presage a massive tectonic historical shift. These imply the coming of a kind of redemptive period, a messianic redemption. And so it makes the conversation a bit of a challenge. It's a very now-focused perspective. Things that frighten me about QAnon, things that frighten me about authoritarianism, things that frighten me about overturning the results of elections and the precedent that might set, aren't so relevant, aren't so significant to someone who sees this as the all-in moment, who sees this as the battle, the final battle between good and evil, when redemption is here, when redemption is about to come. Okay, and we're recording. So, hi, Gila. Thank you so much. Good morning. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time just to answer some, some questions for me. Absolutely. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, my first question is, what is the Great Awakening? Um, it took me some time. I saw it posted um, a lot on, on Facebook and other social media. I saw those words, and I didn't really know what people were talking about. And then I found myself posting those words and not really knowing why. Um, and now the best way I could articulate what the Great Awakening is after time after time of sitting with the concept and um, stewing in it for a little while, I think it means waking up spiritually, um, understanding that God is the one in control of this world. Um, the Great Awakening came to be because I saw with coronavirus specifically, it, 
it was, it became clear to me that man was trying to control something invisible. And that immediately looked like futility to me, like almost like in the Torah where they have Migdal Bavel, where they're like climbing to a, to a tower to fight with God. Like here we were as civil a civilization trying to fight with something we couldn't even see. So the futility of coronavirus made me realize um, the great the great awakening I had is that we really have no control of anything in life. And the second we realized that God controls everything, especially the, in, in the invisible world, um, that is when you wake up to life and you realize that you were born into this life, not to be controlled, not to control anybody else, and not to let any institution or power structure control you, you know, not to let um, anything, any, you know, organization, institution, local rabbi, spouse, kids, like whoever is in your immediate um, life or, you know, you know, not so immediate life, don't um, be a, fr a free-willed person and, and allow other people to be free-willed, you know, the live and let live. Um, so the great awakening to me is to wake up to the fact that we're all here to enjoy life and not to control anybody or allow outside influences to control us. We are we are born free, and we're meant to live free. Is this is this related to QAnon at all? Asking someone who has no idea about really even the most basic uh, understanding of these terms. Well, um, when I read when I read about QAnon and I go into I go down the rabbit hole and like I read deeper into it. QAnon to me is just hopefully this organization of good guys that stays behind the scenes fighting the bad guys that are behind the scenes. Um, we are right now in a war of good and evil. Um, and that's truly what the Great Awakening is, to realize it's not about a specific person, place, or thing, or politician. It's just about this division of who is coming to control you and who is saying, be free. To me, Donald Trump, his message was always about freedom. I aligned with that. Um, you know, people who came to control my comings and goings, that didn't feel right to me. So QAnon to me is hopefully real. Hopefully they are out there. Hopefully they are the good guys. Hopefully they are one step ahead of the bad guys. And I believe we're all right now, Amichai, in a movie, watching mm -hmm. one big movie play out. So I know it sounds crazy, but when you view life from the perspective of your soul and the perspective of your spirit, you kind of take that little bit of remove and you um, you watch it like a movie. That's QAnon's famous thing. Get your popcorn. This is a movie. Um, we're watching this Biden presidency. I'm watching it as if it's a movie. As if it's a movie playing. That gives me peace because I know I think more is coming. Have you ever had any doubts about about this battle? between good and evil, like maybe there aren't really forces of good and evil battling. Maybe it's just sort of, you know, people being people. Right. No, it's a great question. And I sometimes go, like, whoa, maybe this is just like people, you know, um, just having conversa conversations and like, this is, I look at it from the superficial level. I, I vacillate between the two. I'm like, wait a second. I, I ha constantly have to reality check myself because we've been gaslit so bad that we don't know our reality anymore. Um, that's what cognitive dissonance is, is like, oh my God, you jump, is this the reality? Is this the reality? 
But when I, when I go back, I've been working on myself spiritually for so long that when I go back to my spiritual core and my connection to Hashem, I'm like, no, no, no. This, and I go to the Torah because the Torah is always talking about good and evil, primordial man. Why do we think just because we're in modern society that, oh, all that magically disappeared, the Satan is gone. You know, why, what about modern, just because we have the internet and cell phones and all this modern technology doesn't mean we've gotten rid of those primordial concepts. So it's interesting, and, and it's very it's a very interesting perspective to me because I have a different perspective, right? You know that I'm, I have a different perspective, and my perspective is more that we're, we're human beings and doing you know human things and following incentives. Um, but like I wonder because one of the things I talk about is is history, and I talk about books on my little channel to my small little audience. So um, like I'm just curious, like if, if 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 I read a book about the Civil War, let's say, so you have the North of America and fighting the South of America over slavery, do you also read that as a battle of good and evil, or is that just human beings following incentives? When, when you have because well, well, I see can, parallels right between like you know people yeah. talk about a civil war in you know our our modern era also well you can look at things through many lenses you know you can look at them purely physical you know you can look at psychologically you can look at it spiritually to me the most elevated plane is to look at things spiritually and you know and and take the lesson from it and see the themes in it and and know that we're inside something right now and it feels physical to us, but there is always that spiritual realm guiding us. So the civil war also had a spiritual realm guiding them. And, and those people were, Oh my God, Lincoln was one of the most spiritual people ever. Mm -hmm. They all spoke of God. So, so in your opinion, again, so just like, do you think the South was like an evil force that was battling the, the force of good in the North? Like, cause, cause I, I personally don't read it that way. And I'm just curious if that's sort of like a, a pattern or it's more like specific to this current time period. Well, if you think about it, I hope I'm going to answer your question right. But I think like Lincoln, he wanted to free the slaves, right? That mm -hmm. was the whole battle. Yep, totally. So again, it was about freedom and it was about liberating the souls of people and we're all one. So slavery did not fit into that concept. So again, good over evil, people who wanted to suppress people and people who wanted to liberate people. Got it. So it is the same kind of idea. Um, that's really interesting. Do, do you know anyone who left sort of this, you, you, I, you, I want to sort of be careful with terminology. Maybe we'll take a step back and talk about terminology. Is it okay to call it a rabbit hole or is that like, I don't want to yeah, use no, any words. I that, love the rabbit okay. hole. You can okay. say anything to me. I don't get another, offended. Another yes. question of terminology. If someone were to call you a conspiracy theorist, was that, is that offensive? Is that like a dismissive? No, it's a compliment. Okay. So do you know you anyone? Know you know what a complicity theorist is? Someone who goes along with everything. Mm. That's, that's, if you called me that, I'd be offended. I'm a complicity theorist. Okay. Um, do you know anyone who, who left the rabbit hole? Who maybe who was believed in the Great Awakening? Or maybe after, because QAnon, can you think of like reasons maybe why people who were in part of this uh, movement, you know, might, might struggle or have struggled to, to stay in it? Well, the struggle was real on election day for me also, because I'm like, there was stuff coming coming through the message boards that, you know, something big was going to happen on election day. Go shopping, get your, I, I like went to Gourmet Glad and I got a, a chicken for months in my freezer. So when nothing happened, I woke up that morning, I said, Hashem, please don't let nothing happen today. And nothing happened. So it, that was, that shook me. Um, but then I regrouped. I spoke to my other friends who strengthened me and are like, you know, they, they can't, the QAnon people cannot be very specific because in giving us information, they give it to the enemy. So they always have to like duck and weave and not be specific and be very vague. So um, 
it's kind of like when you get disappointed about anything in life and you're like, okay, Hashem, I trust you. It wasn't this plan, it's this plan. You always have to be flexible with the plan because you're not in charge of the plan. It's really a lesson, a muster on, on following um, God's plan and not your own. It's always bending your will to the will of God. And the same thing with this bigger plan that QAnon has, we have to have faith in the unseen. And, and again, it, this is a, the, a massive leap of faith, just like believing in God is a massive leap of faith, because at the end of it, you could look like a complete idiot. You could look like a fool. So all of us Q followers could look stupid at the end of all this, but it's a chance that we take. It's a chance anybody with faith takes about anything. Do you think, does, does QAnon, do, do you, The Great Awakening, do you assume that Trump had more votes uh, fair legal votes than Biden in the last election? Oh, hell yeah. Come on now. Mm -hmm. And, and, and also I assume similarly, like, do you think that Trump is, is like very popular in America with like most people and it's really only a major minority of people who, who don't like Trump? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've been to the rallies. I've been to three rallies and they are massive events of love and patriotism. I'm a patriot. I never knew. That word came alive for me this year. The word freedom came to life. Liberty. Woo. When Lynn Wood says, you know, the fresh air of liberty, oh, I get chills up my back. Do you think um, 2024, would you like to see Trump run again in 2024, in the 2024 election? When people ask that question, I'm excited they don't get it. No? They don't get it. This country will be lost by 2024. If you see what the what was what how the nature the fabric of our country changed in 2020 we, and how we lost the right to come and go and fly here and and worship here, 2024, multiply that by a million. We will have nothing left. We it cannot go on that long, in my opinion. And, and you think like the like erosion of our civil liberties are going to continue? Um, yeah, I mean, haven't they haven't they deteriorated pretty rapidly? You're speaking specifically in regards to like the lockdown and the way that people wear masks and things like that. Yeah, just, um, just to control the, 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 like I was talking about before, the great awakening is about who's coming to control you and asking why are they controlling me? For what reason are they controlling me? Is it for my benefit or for their benefit? Who is gaining from this control? Those are the questions that people who want to wake up need to start asking themselves. You know, are we talking about the energy of love or the energy of fear? And that's, we have to distill everything down to that. Is this a message of fear that I'm hearing or is this a message of love? And follow the love. QAnon is love, Trump is love. Like I follow things that resonate as love. You have to listen with the ears of your soul and the ear, your energetic ears and distill not even the words, but like, what am I afraid after hearing that? Or am I, or am I, you know, uplifted after hearing that message. And if you're afraid, turn it off. If it's the CNN, turn it off, whatever it is. If you're afraid after listening, even if it's a rough sheer, if you're afraid after listening, don't go back there. You only want to end something with an energy of upliftment and love. And that's where you keep going back to, to feed yourself. But don't you think there also needs to be a balance in terms of trying to incorporate ideas that might feel strange or perspectives that might feel foreign as a way of sort of having a broad kind of perspective as well? I mean, you know, I follow the energy. If the energy feels like love to me, I'll follow it. If the energy feels like fear to me, 
I won't go there. And I, that's how I protect myself. And at the end of the day, I think we all create our own reality by choosing to follow different energetic vibes. And if you're following love, it's going to lead you somewhere really good. You're, you're a doctor of dentistry, is that right? Yes. Okay. And do you see a lot of patients, and I know from, from firsthand testimony that you are very beloved. Um, do you ever have patients who come in with like ideas that are just wrong? Like maybe I, I know people in my own life who think fluoride is poisonous, you know, and shouldn't be used to protect the teeth. They don't use fluoride in their toothpaste. Do you ever have issues like that with with, with patients who think weird things? Well, I'm, I hope I consider myself pretty open. I like to listen to everything and and like filter it for myself. Um, fluoride, to me, I used to think people were crazy because I went to dental school and they and the and they taught us fluoride is the only thing to prevent decay. Still, to this day, Florida is the only thing I give people and tell them this is the only thing that I can do to help you stop your decay process. Um, but when I heard about fluoride, I fought against it because I'm like, it's all I got, you know, don't take that away from me. I think there's a distinction between fluoride in the water and fluoride in the toothpaste. I'm not even sure. I haven't researched it enough. Um, I still I still give people fluoride if, if I need to get their decay under control. I have to research it more. You know, I stopped using amalgam fillings. I only use them in very limited situations where I can't get a tooth dry. Um, but I, I've been listening to the awakening, oops, sorry. I've been listening to the awakening aspects as it relates to dentistry. And those are the two that I've heard is uh, amalgam fillings and fluoride. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being more cautious with both of those. Okay. Um... Do you think there's there's like certain rabbit holes on the internet that people shouldn't go down? That's sort of like the the broader question, you know, because like in my experience, there's there's a lot of different rabbit holes, you know. Um, I, I don't know how I, I assume I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but um, like there's like a flat Earth rabbit hole, for example. You know, I, would, I don't know what that is. What is the flat Earth rabbit hole? Well, you know, there's a, a whole class of people who have huge Facebook groups and huge YouTube channels, with hundreds of thousands of viewers, where they do scientific experiments you know they go to tall buildings and they take a lens and they look out over the horizon and they look for curvature and they look for mountains that should be tilting away they look to try to show and they've convinced themselves that there is no curvature and they and, they, and it's all about posting videos and and it's for a very simple reason and the logic that they this is so important to them because you can say who cares because to them there's a battle of good and evil going on they think that the elites know that the world is flat and that they're hiding it from us and the reason they're hiding it from us is because they want to keep us atheistic and they want to keep us, you know, in, enamored with science and things like that. And so it's, I think it's a tempting rabbit hole that people can go down. Would you like recommend people to avoid those kind of rabbit holes or, or do you think anything like that is also worth exploring? What do you think? Here's my guide. Anything that makes you feel closer to God is worth exploring, you know, with a grain of salt, you know, it could, I always say like somewhere in the middle, this could be true. This might be true. I might get excited that it's true. But anything that makes you feel afraid, it's the same thing I said before. If it's scaring the hell out of you, then get out of the rabbit hole. If you start getting like, you know, your eyes get wide and you're looking around the room, just leap. But for me, oh my gosh, I recently saw a video that Donald Trump converted to Judaism two years ago. And I was like, oh my God, I was like all in for a minute. I'm like, how cool would that be? And maybe he's Mashiach. And like, I, so it didn't harm me to think that because I'm like, okay, maybe he isn't, but maybe he is. And you just kind of hold that puzzle piece to the side. I heard Jason Shurka say that. He's somebody I follow very closely. And he said, 
we're living in a time right now that you're giving, we, we're living in a thousand piece puzzle right now. And every day you're given another piece and some pieces you know where to put them and some pieces you have to leave off to the side and maybe later you'll know where to put it. And that was like, that like made me be at peace with any information I'm getting now. I'm like, either I click it in or I leave it to the side. This, is, this has been really interesting. And I think I've, I've really, really enjoyed this fascinating conversation. One last question before and after this, we're done. Um, okay. And you can you can end with whatever thoughts you want to leave us with. Um, and then and then we're done. But just my, sort of my last question is, I can totally understand the appeal of what you're describing. The, the last question is, do you think there's any potential dangers? If, if that's how we all, let's say every doctor, let's say every pilot, every engineer decides to operate in that way. Do you think there's a danger um, for that, that that could come out of that? Where this, this it's totally wide openness, where everything is sort of measured based on how it feels when we, when we hear it. Okay, that's a great question. And what comes up immediately for me is if your intentions are L'Shem Shamayim, if you're a scientist, L'Shem Shamayim, a pilot, L'Shem Shamayim, if all your intentions are turned towards benefiting your fellow man and advancing creation and, and, and serving and loving God, I don't think any of us can go wrong. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Anything you want people to, to, um, to think about? Um, I would say everybody sit tight. Everybody be patient. That's the one thing I am learning so hard right now is just to sit tight, be patient. I'm watching the world right now like it's a movie because that's giving me this third party perspective of not getting too emotionally overwrought about anything I'm seeing because I believe we're right now everything is on warp speed. If you see, you know, there's been like I think 19 executive orders in three days. I mean, I think we're living in an accelerated time right now and I think we're headed towards something really good. Can we potentially do this again in four years, in 2024, and and look back and see and see what happened over four years and, and maybe take stock? Would you be open to that? Oh yeah, you can call me anytime. Okay, so let's 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 put it on the calendar. Four years from now, 2024, we're gonna take stock and see what happened and and what what to make of the. Do, I hope we can be in neighbors in Jerusalem together. Okay, possibly. Thank you so much, Gila. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Have a great day. Bye bye. Kilo, once again, thank you so much. Another thing which we didn't get a chance to discuss, but I would love to discuss or think about more, is the role that social media plays in all of this. To borrow from a very extreme, grotesque example, there's a book called The Nazi and the Psychiatrist. The book is by a man named Jack L. High, and he's writing mostly about the Nuremberg trials, Hermann Goering and a psychiatrist who worked at Nuremberg, his last name is Kelly. And he tells this episode where at lunch one day, the Nazi Julius Stryker reads about a black man in America who's agitating for a race war. And Julius Stryker tells the psychiatrist, Douglas Kelly, he says, see, maybe we were wrong about the Jewish problem, America might not have a Jewish problem, but it's definitely going to have a Negro problem. And this is proof. This man agitating for a race war. And Douglas Kelly responds, he says, there's always going to be crackpots and extremists and healthier people, healthier meaning healthier than you, Julia Stryker, healthy people 
just ignore them and go on with their lives. And to me, what that story symbolizes more than anything else is social media. The way in which we can curate news feeds for ourselves that can reinforce our view of the world and we can create news feeds that can create, can construct certain perspectives and political perspectives. If I'm a person who exposes himself to stories of racial animus, I'm going to have a view of the world shaped by that consumption. Whereas if I consume stories that are much more positive and wholesome about racial harmony, I'm going to develop a different view. And I would just love to discuss with you more about the danger of being narrow in our consumption and the ways in which people can evolve different perspectives because of what they choose to consume or not consume on the internet and the ways in which social media companies have profited from and exploited our desire to click on things that enrage us, to believe things that are scary and sensational, and to share things that are shocking. I want to end on a note of agreement. You mentioned at a few points about how you feel like you're living in a movie. And I think at one point you said, this might sound crazy. And I want to just say that I don't think that sounds crazy at all. I actually really enjoy watching a lot of videos about Buddhism, sometimes from Buddhist monks, talking about Buddhist philosophy, talking about meditation. And one of the ideas that comes up a lot is that we should be striving for a kind of detachment. That health, psychological health, can be attained by creating a kind of separation between our consciousness, between our soul, and our body, what we experience in the physical world. And I've read and heard Buddhists talk about an analogy for this kind of detachment, this kind of separation, which can bring about peace and happiness and enlightenment. And the analogy they use is water in a movie. Is water wet if it's in a movie? With the point being, there's some sense in which it's wet, but there's some sense in which you're detached. There's some sense in which the experiences of life can be perceived as being on a screen which is external to you. And I think now more than ever, I think one of the things we definitely agree on is that we are living in trying and difficult times. We were living in trying times before the virus hit. No one knows what personal struggles each of us are going through, but if there's one thing we can know for certain, it's that everyone is going through struggles. And I think we all can use more of that detachment 
But I also think that if we want to make this world a better place, if we want to accomplish tikkun olam, if we want to be able to connect with other people and cooperate with other people and compromise with other people and build great things with other people, we need to know and we need to be able to leave that fortress of solitude and inhabit another person's perspective and another person's lens and find common ground, common epistemological ground, a common language for thinking about our differences, for testing our hypotheses. If someone has an idea about how to fix teeth and you think it's a bad idea, a way to resolve that kind of difference that doesn't just appeal to what feels right, that doesn't just appeal to what inspires us. And I think it's that tightrope which is so tricky to walk. Ultimately, this little YouTube channel here is not really about politics. It's a channel that I created to discuss art, usually literature. But I want to end with some lyrics from a song that I love. In 1994, Tanya Harding was the most famous, most infamous person in America. She was kind of like a rags to riches story at first, someone who grew up in poverty in Portland, but who ultimately achieved a silver medal at the Olympics in figure skating. And she was someone from a lower class family, a lower class background in America, competing in a sport dominated by wealthy people. And then she was involved, embroiled in this extremely bizarre and entertaining scandal, uniquely American kind of weird scandal where she was associated with someone who beat up her opponent Nancy Kerrigan, her figure skating opponent, as a way to help Tanya Harding achieve gold, because Nancy Kerrigan had beaten her previously. And in 1994, this story was spectacular. And Tanya Harding was absolutely the most hated, reviled person and the butt of every joke. It was before social media, but she was what we'd call completely canceled. And Sufjan Stevens has a song called Tanya Harding. And in the song, he grapples with the complexity of a character who, on the one hand, is such a cartoonish, has such a cartoonish image, but also accomplished amazing things was a world-class figure skater. Someone who was often out of place, rose up from poverty. And I love the lyrics. And to me, they speak to the way in which we can see the complexity in other people and not just write people off as being evil and not just write people off as being crazy. People are more than their worst views. People are, are more than the worst thing they posted online. So I'll just read some of the lyrics. Of course, I'm not going to read them all. 
Tanya Harding, my star. This world is a cold one, but it takes one to know one, and God only knows who you are. Tanya, you were the brightest. You rose from the ashes and survived all the crashes, wiping the blood from your white tights. Has the world had its fun? They'll make such a hassle, and they'll build you a castle, then destroy it when they're done. Tanya Harding, my friend, well, this world is a bitch. Don't end up in a ditch. I'll be watching you close to the end. So fight on as you are, my American princess. May God bless you with incense. You're my shining American star.